This podcast was recorded at Life Connection Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more podcasts and information on Life Connection Church, visit lifeconnectionchurch.net. If you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 6, we're going to continue in our series in Romans. Now, some of you may not know as you're turning to Romans 6, some of you may not know, but probably most of you do. It is almost Halloween. Now, I'm not going to do a Halloween message, thank God. I don't see many Halloween messages that I could preach better than this one on on sin and grace. Um, But I I just think it's interesting. When I look around, I tell you what, what we need to be doing is, uh, (laughs) when I look around, Halloween has changed. Have you noticed that? When I was a kid, it was about dressing up, and now it's like, Everything is sexualized. Everything has become this big old thing. And here's what I want you to hear from me just as a pastoral, uh, a pastoral thing. Somebody are saying, should we celebrate? Should we be a part? Should we do anything? Just like any of these things. There's some articles there that have been on the city. Just like any of these things that are happening. I think the church has a prime opportunity in any sort of holiday to show not just the light of Christ, but how we as God's people can celebrate and can enjoy and can do it in a way that is not glorifying to sin and to all the things around us, but is glorifying to God. So here's as I encourage you, as you guys are doing your gospel communities this week, as you guys are celebrating with your family, remember that this is not just an opportunity for us to, 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 uh, to enjoy, but it's an opportunity for us to display the gospel. Invite people into your home. Share life together. Point them to Jesus. And remember that we can partake in these holidays, but we we don't worship them. And we're not shaped by them. We are a people that display the light of God. I want to encourage you in that because some of us get so weirded out in these times. Should we be a part of this? Should we partake in this? I'm not saying we should partake. I'm saying we should display I'm saying we should show that there is a God who has changed our lives, who has given us a great hope, and that as we are a part of the culture and the world around us, we do such in a way that glorifies God. So remember that. Teach your kids that. Walk in that. Do that as a community. This is an important time. All holidays are extremely important for us to be a part of, to display, to show that God is real. And that His Word is alive and working in our lives. Now, give you enough time to Romans. That's a quick, a quick rundown. But I know many of us are asking those questions. Romans chapter number 6. Now, as we go through this, as you're at Romans 6, I want to do just a quick kind of overview um, of where we are at in Romans. I'm going to try to go. There we go. I'm getting this thing down. Um, The overview is we started in Romans chapter 1 and we started talking about the depths of sin. And the reason why we could talk about the depths of sin is because we believe in the power of the gospel. We see that in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. We're not ashamed of the gospel. And because we believe that the power of the gospel is far greater than sin, we could dive into the depths of sin. We could also dive into the depths of the gospel as we hit Romans chapter 3, verse 21, we start diving into the depths of the gospel and beautiful words start coming out there. The riches of the gospel and justification and redemption and, and restoration. All the things that we see there so beautifully start to come forth. Then we dove in in chapter 4 to the depths 
of faith. And we started to learn that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we started to realize what faith really is. And it was an important time for us because faith has been so distorted. Faith has become such a freak show in our culture that we need to understand what faith is. And so our dependence upon the work of Christ, putting our faith and trust in Him. Then chapter 5 comes around and we start to look at the centerpiece of salvation. All the things that we have looked at in sin and in faith and in the gospel all come to this beautiful kind of picture of what we get to have. It's not just, we're not just delivered from sin, although that is a part of it. We are in union with Christ. We are one with Him. What do we get? We are saved out of slavery and sin, but we are brought into covenant and union with Christ. And then, as we hit chapter 6, we hit our first imperatives, the first things that we are supposed to do. And the reason why it's important for me to run at this text today is because we live in a culture that loves self-help books and seminars. And these short little books are, are promises of you do these things and you will get this and, and how to fix your life in three easy steps. And, 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 and the problem with this is, is we really believe that if we just change our behavior, then it will change our lives. But the reality is, is what the gospel shows us is that by Jesus coming in and us being in union with him, our identity changes. The reason why we spent all these six chapters talking about these things is that Paul is wanting to shape our identities before he shapes our behaviors. Because the reality is who we are is how we will act. And if we know who we are in Christ then what comes out of us is obvious. If we understand our identity as people, then what we need to do will flow out of us. Now, today as we listen to this text, I want you to stand as we read Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 18. And the reason why we stand is because we want to honor and respect God's word. And that while we are reading this, this is different than just me standing up here and talking. This is God's word. And as we read this, let's remember, that's why we stand. That's why we need to pay attention because this is God's word. Romans 6, verse 15 through 18. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. God, let these words sink deep into our hearts. 
Let them not just be words on the page, but would your spirit make them alive in us so that we would see, understand, and hear, and believe, and act upon these words. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Have, have any of you watched Princess Bride? Anybody seen Princess Bride? Only a few of you. Maybe I'm showing my age. I'm not sure. In Princess Bride, there is a, a, a short little man named Vincini, right? Now, Vincini has these two kind of guys that are his protectors, and, and one of them name is Amigo Montoya, all right? Yeah, how many of you remember, Amigo, my name is Amigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die, right? If you haven't watched the movie, that will make no sense to you. But Vincini captures the princess, and there is a man in black who is coming after to, to rescue this princess, and, and Vincini is in this boat, and he's, and he's coming along, and, and inside of that boat, he is, has his two kind of guys that, he, that protect him, and one is a swordsman, which is Amiga Mentor, the other one's this big, big, I can't even remember his name, but he's, what's his, what's his name? Fezzi, that's right. Okay, so he's he's this big dude, and and they're floating along, and 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 he keeps looking. Amigo Montoya keeps looking back, and and he goes, "What are you looking back about?" And I wish I could do it with his accent. What do you keep looking back for? And he said, "Are you sure no one is following us?" And he says, "That's inconceivable." <laughs> and then he keeps looking back, and he says, "What do you keep looking back for?" And he says, "Are you sure?" And see, are you sure nobody's following us? And he says, "That's inconceivable." And then he looks and sees that somebody's following him. And then he, he, tries to, uh, he, he tries to make it to this mountain. And they start climbing this mountain. And they get to the top of the mountain. And the man in black is, is climbing up the rope. And, and, and he goes, he's gaining on us. And then he goes, that's inconceivable. And they get to the top and he cuts the rope. And the rope falls. And the man in black is hanging on the side of the mountain. And then he looks over and he goes, he didn't fall? That's inconceivable. And at that point... Amigo Montoya looks at him and says, Vincini, you keep using that word. I do not think you, I, don't think, I, don't, I do not think that word means what you think it means. And as I'm reading this text, that keeps coming to my mind. Now, maybe because I watched the movie too much or, or because Paul keeps saying, inconceivable. At the beginning of chapter 6, he says, this question is asked, what shall we say then? Are we continued to sin that grace may abound? And he says, that's inconceivable. That's literally the best translation of that, by no means. And then later on, he's asked the same question. And then now, in verse 15, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And he does it again. That's inconceivable. And, and, and as I'm reading this, I'm starting to think, well, Paul, I do not think that word thing means what you think it means. You keep using that word. And the truth of this text is that in Paul's, in Paul's mind, as he's writing through Romans, this whole idea that somebody who has been transformed by the gospel, somebody who has been changed by the power of the, and the work of Jesus on the cross, by the power of his spirit, 
that for them to even ask or to even bring to light, well, should I keep on sinning? It's inconceivable. It's impossible. And now what he's asking in verse 15 is this question is, well, is sin even matter? If sin, if sin is impossible and, and, and sin does not have this power and we've been raised with Christ, well then does sin even matter? Does it matter if I sin or not? Should I just keep on sinning because it doesn't matter whether I sin or not? And he says, this is inconceivable. And here's what I want you guys to hear today. Sin matters. Sin matters. But what we have to understand about the gospel is there are some main objectives that we see in this text. And first objective is this. We have a new master. The second is this. We have a new motivation. And the third is this. We have a new mission. And these are the three things we're going to look at today. We have a new master, we have a new motivation, and we have a new mission. Let's look at verse 16 together. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, of either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to death? to righteousness so they ask well does sin matter then should i just keep on sinning because it doesn't matter whether i sin or not and he says this is inconceivable there's no chance why well what he begins to show us is this all of us in this room are a slave to something. We are slaves to something. Now, here's what's important for us to understand is that many people think freedom is not having a master at all. And so what they believe freedom is is that they don't have a master. But what this text is showing us is that we are always mastered by something we are always a slave to something and we are either a slave to sin which leads to death or a slave of righteousness which leads to life let me ask you this question what are you controlled by it's interesting to me that many people Don't feel like they are controlled by anything but themselves. Hear me on this. Whether or not you think you are your own master, you're still a slave. A slave to yourself. Let me ask you this question. What are you controlled by? And I want you to begin to think because many of us have something on mind, but many of us have convinced ourselves that we have control over it. Some of us have control over our drink. 
Others, if we were honest, realize that our drink has control of us. Some of us feel like we have control over our sex life, but if you were really honest, you would realize that sex has control over you. Some of you may feel like you have control over what you eat, but the more you think about it, you realize that what you eat has control over you. And the more that I jump into people's lives and start to see the destruction of sin, what I begin to see is that there are many people who really believe that if they wanted to stop, they could. Oh, pastor, I could quit this at any time. Really? Why don't you? And the reality is, is that we are a slave to something. So when we ask, does sin matter? The only answer to that question is, absolutely. It matters because what you are a slave to is what controls your destiny. Hear me on this. If you're a slave to sin, your destiny is death. If you're a slave to righteousness, your destiny is life. What this text shows us, and I want you to hear this, is freedom is not that you don't have a master. Freedom is you have the right master. Freedom is not that you don't have a master, and and I'm my own person, and I just do my own thing. That is not freedom at all. Freedom is not that you don't have a master. It's that you have the right master. Master, And here's what I want you to hear about this. When we start talking about slavery, this becomes a very sensitive subject in America, as it should be. Because of the history in America and the slavery that was in our nation, many of us, because we do not have a concept, a concept outside of American culture, believe that what Paul is doing here is endorsing American slavery. Listen, he is not endorsing American slavery. What we're going to see even next week is the slavery that Paul is talking about is much like our employment system. That they earned wages. That many of them were what was called bond servants. That they would give their lives to serve even though they were free. They would put themselves back in the slavery of a good master. Listen, what we experienced in our country was sin and wrong. And there were many of Christians who were used by God to bring freedom to the slavery that was taking place in our country. This is not what he's talking about. But what he is talking about is the realities that even though we don't maybe experience the fullness of the slavery that we've seen in our nation, what we have to understand is this. We are slaves to something. 
And what he's calling us to is not freedom, meaning we need to just be our own master and do whatever we want. Freedom is this, having the right master. And we see five times in these four verses that he uses this word obedience. Obedience is done by slaves and, hear me, it's done by those who are free. Obedience is done by those who are slaves, but it's done by those who are free. But what we have to understand is when we are free, we obey with a different motivation than those who are slaves. Here's what I want you to hear is you obey those that you love and you obey those that you don't love. How many of you like your, I won't make you raise your hand. Some of you may not like your jobs. How many of you have ever at any point in your life worked at a job, not now, obviously you love the job you have now. How many of you have ever worked at a job where you had a boss that you could not stand? Okay, raise your hand all over this room. Thank God, worshiping him together. Yes. And you know what it is like to have to do what he's telling you to do, but you are not going to do it with the right attitude. Oh, I will do this, but I hate you. (laughs) And secretly inside, I'm planning ways to hurt you. I will do this, but only because you're going to pay me. And only because I'm getting that check and only because I'm sending out resumes to somewhere else. I will, but you don't have my heart. And I'm secretly praying that God will overthrow you and you will lose your job and starve. Fantasize about punching you once in a while I do. I'll obey you, but I don't like it. Do you see where I'm going with that? The reality of this is that, yes, I obey. But here's another person that I obey. But I obey for a completely different reason, and I obey not just what I have to do. I obey because I want to serve. And here's the thing that many of us, don't understand that he's talking about union with Christ here. He's talking about that union and covenant with Christ. And here's what you have to understand, that I am in a marriage covenantal relation. I'm going to use this illustration not because we won't understand it if, if we're not, but because this is important to me. Many of us look at our spouses as the old ball and chain. And some of us are just thankful to have such an incredible spouse. And some of us go, now listen, hey man, some of us have been married so long, we feel like it is our responsibility to warn every new couple of how horrible it actually is. Somebody tells us they're getting married and they go, oh, dear God, have you prayed about it? Because this is a prison. Let me out. I, I've desperately wanted to get out of this. Problem. And you feel this weight to just tell them the big responsibility and you've lost all sense of thankfulness for the covenant. And then you have those 
who literally have this idea and this concept who as they're going into marriage just really believe that their life is not going to change. <laughs> Your life will change. Here's the realities. Covenant changes you. But it, it doesn't have to be chains. Here's the beauty of my relationship with my wife. I love her, and many times I look at her and go, if she just realized who she married, she would want to get out of this thing. I feel so amazed that my wife would marry me and there are many times that I will do what she wants me to do even though I don't want to, even though I don't feel like it, and even though I don't understand it. But I do it because I love her. It's not on my job description. I don't have a resume and I don't have to walk around going, oh, I'll do it, but I want to kill you. No, I don't even have to think. Because many times when, some, when your boss asks you to do something, you love it when you go, hey, that ain't my job. It ain't my job description. In a marriage, we don't do that. We're not just trying to live up to a job description. We see their needs and want to serve them. We obey one another. We serve one another. Some people look at covenant as a ball and chain, but I'm going to tell you this. The reality of union with Christ is not a ball and chain. It's freedom. Because now we get to be in a relationship with a master who loves us and serves us and is going to die for us and has given his life for us and has poured his spirit into us, has adopted us as his children. This is freedom. Freedom is not not having a master, it's having the right master. And when we understand this, the only response is what we see in verse 17. And look what it says. Verse 17 says this. Thanks be to God. When we see what we have in Christ and the union we have with him and that he is our master, here's the response. Thankfulness. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin and you have become obedient from, what does that say? From the what? From the heart. Here's what I want us to learn, and we talked about this last week. Many people think laborers work harder than lovers, but I'm going to tell you this. Lovers work way harder than laborers. The religious people, their minds are blown because they're constantly doing religious duties to try to live up to a job description to a God that they cannot stand, but they just want his rewards. So they ask questions, well, does sin not matter? If I'm not saved by my works, if I'm not earning this reward, then what is it? 
We're called into this union with him. And what God is showing us is that when we are in a loving covenantal union with him, it's not just by living up to a job description where you say, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's a covenantal relationship where you're in love with Jesus and he's shown you his love for you and you're giving yourselves to one another and you long to obey him. And your obedience comes as this verse says, from the heart. Now this could confuse many of you. Because what you think heart means is feelings. <laughs> you think heart means feelings. So what you think is, my head is telling me one thing. My head is telling me no. But my heart <laughs> is telling me yeah. And literally, you feel this, this, this division between your head and what you call your heart, which is actually, hear me on this, your feelings. Some of us are controlled and mastered by our logic. And others of us are controlled and mastered by our feelings. And others of us are controlled and mastered by our will. But what the Bible shows us is that our heart is not our feelings. Our heart is not our head. Our heart is not our will. Our heart is the seat of all of those things. Our heart is the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. What we could use that would be far better for this is that the heart is, is, is better translated and understand in our context as motives. It's the seat of those things. Now, let me just clarify this. Can we obey from the heart and not understand what we're doing? Yes. Can we obey from the heart and not feel like it? Yes. Can we obey from the heart and it not be our will? Yes. The heart is what are the motives that control the mind, the will, and the emotions. And many of you have come to me and said, Pastor, let me give you just a simple example. I've had this happen so often. I like to stand up here and sing and engage and lift my hands and worship and, and try and, 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 and just lift up and exalt God in my mind and my emotions and everything within me. I want to love Him. And I've had people who've come up to me, and this is just a simple example, but it, it carries over in every area. And they say, listen, Pastor, I want to lift my hands. I want to sing. I want to I worship. I want to engage. But I don't feel like it today. And because I don't feel like it, if I did it, I would be faking it. If I worshiped and I didn't feel it, I would be faking it. And so I don't want to fake it, so I didn't do it. And so what they're saying is, if I'm standing there worshiping Jesus, but today I don't have feelings that are in line with that worship, then I'm faking it. And the reality is, if we look at this text, I can obey in worship and not feel it and not be faking it. 
What if, pastor, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I feel like doing this and it's my will to do this and I do this, I need to, I was faking it. I should have done this. In obedience, I was trying to do, but I didn't want, I wanted to do this. Was, was I faking it? And here's the reality. No, you were not faking it. You were obeying. I hope you can hear this today because many of you are trapped in this thing. When you say obey from the heart, it means you have to understand it, you have to feel it, and you have to want to do. You have to, will, you have, to have the same will. But the reality is when we see the heart as a deeper motivation and a deeper mo- place where the Spirit comes in and transforms us, then our heart and our minds and our will become a place that we see in Psalms that is a place that we speak to instead of listen to. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It wasn't a place where it says, tell me what to do, show me what to do. It was the Spirit of God, the Word of God that showed him how to live. And so when his motions and his mind and his will didn't line up with it, he didn't listen to his soul. He spoke to his soul. And so many of you spend your life listening to your heart rather than speaking to your soul. Speak to your soul. Don't listen to your feelings. Speak to your feelings. Bless the Lord. Don't point them to say, don't feel this way. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what David did. What David did is say, look at Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Bless him. Thank him. Don't forget his benefits. Because here's what we do in the midst of things. We listen to our soul. And I can understand that when somebody is not born again. Because the deepest place in their life is their soul. Their spirit is dead. But for those of us who have been made alive in Christ, we have this far deeper place We're to listen to the Spirit of God, speak to our soul, and surrender our bodies as living sacrifices. So many of you feel like you're waiting to feel like doing something before you do it. But listen to what he says in verse 17. He says, Obey from the heart to the standards of teaching of which you were committed. Thanks be to God that we have His Word as the standard for teaching by which we submit our lives to. Because if it was based on your feelings, we would be up and down. If it was based on your thoughts and your will, if it was based on anything else but His Word, we would not have something to stand upon. And so the Christian, here's how they live their lives. They see the standard of teaching in God's Word, and they see what He has taught and what He has spoken, and they engage with that, and they set their hearts and their minds upon that, and they obey not just out of duty and obligation. They obey from the heart.
Love is more. It's more than a feeling, my friends. Love is more than a thought, and love is more than will. Love is the motive for our obedience. Some people do it because they have to. If they don't, they're going to get in trouble. Other people do it because they're trying to earn something. Some people obey because they're trying to prove themselves. But the Christian, they obey out of a loving union with the God that they love and worship and who has rescued them and saved them and gave himself for them. They don't obey because they just feel like it. They don't obey because they always understand. They don't obey because it's their will all the time. But they obey the standards of God's teaching because of love for Him. How many of you look in the world around us and see things out there that people are asking questions? Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I sin? And it would be so much easier to go, look, if it was up to me, go ahead. Do whatever you want to do. But because we have the standard of God's word and we agree with his word, we say, this is what his word teaches. I surrender my life to this. I don't understand it. I don't, know, I don't always get it, but I'm studying. I want to learn. I want to grow mentally. I don't always feel like it, but sometimes I do. And here's what we see taking place is we're given a new motivation. We're given a new heart. And the relationship that God wants to have with us is from the heart, not just do what I tell you to do. It's obey from the heart. Look at verse 18. And having been set free, everybody say amen to that. From sin, we have become slaves to righteousness. This is our new mission. He hasn't just set us free from sin and say you're forgiven, although that is a part of what has taken place as we come into Christ. Sin has no reign over us. We are now under the reign of grace, but because of God's work, he didn't just set us free from where we were. He's given us a new purpose, and that purpose is he is our master, and we get to obey the creator of the world, the one who loves and saved. And now our mission is to be slaves of righteousness. We have a purpose for living. We have been given everything we need to do this great purpose. When we look at these main objectives, as the band comes... What we get in this is that we get to become fully human as we are slaves of God. Y'all remember the story of God, how God created the whole earth and the, people of God, and, and the people that he created were living under his rule and reign and they would walk with him and they had rule and dominion as they were submitted to his rule and reign and they had relationship and they had covenant and union and you want to know when it all went downhill was when they believed this. I don't want to be your servant. I want to be the master. I want to do my own thing. I want to determine what is right and wrong. 
And it was when the point when they said, I want to be my own master. And when they weren't under the rule and reign of God that they realized they weren't their own master. Now they were slaves of sin. And because of the work of Jesus and because of God's loving pursuit by sending his son that he has restored us, he has restored us and set us free. But here's what restoration is. Restoration is not that we are our own master doing what we want to do. Restoration is we have been restored back to living under the rule and reign of Christ. And because of that, we are fully human now because we live under his rule and reign. We are God's representatives here on earth. We are God's glory displaying His likeness. And we are only human when we are reflecting God's glory. How many of you remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son lives in his father's home. The prodigal son decides that he wants his inheritance and he wants to go spend it how he wants to. So the father gives him his inheritance and he goes off and lives the life how he wants to live. He squanders all of it and he finds himself in a pigsty, feeding pigs and eating what they're eating. And the Bible says that he comes to his senses. And you want to know what he realizes? He realizes that even his father's slaves have it better than he does. So what does he do? He comes home, not saying, make me your son. He comes home saying, make me your servant. Why? Because he realized that it was better to be a servant of a loving father than to be a slave to himself. And when he came home, the father's heart and intention was for him to see the kind of servant that he wanted to be. And it was not the kind of servant that says, get back out there and get to work and you could live, you could be here and I'll take care of you, but you're going to do it. No, he brought him back and restored him fully to sonship. Why? Because sons obey and so do servants, but sons obey for a completely different reason. They obey because they have a loving Father who has redeemed them and restored them. And church, the call today is a call of obedience. It's a call to not be a slave to sin anymore. It's a call to surrender your lives and present your bodies to God. Present your, your mind, present your ears, your eyes, your tongue, your hands, your feet. And not in a way that says, if I have to do it, but in a way that says, you are a good and loving Father. You are my Savior. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to be my master. I'm tired of trying to run my own life when I know that I'm just a slave to sin. I need you as my Savior. It is because of your life and your blood and your work and your spirit. I need you, Jesus. 
And when we realize that, hear this, we're free. We're free. True freedom is being a bondservant. True freedom is being a son submitted to his father. True freedom is life in Christ. Share this last illustration and then we're going to take communion together. If you could turn the lights down, I want us to just close our eyes. I remember the day I got to ride to school on my bike for the first time by myself. I thought it was the coolest thing out there, man. I didn't want my mom and dad to drop me off anymore because I didn't want to feel uncool. So I got my green diamondback bike for the first time I start riding it to school I get to school I lock it up and I'm feeling man this is the day of my life man I get back on that bike thinking man I don't need my parents anymore I got a BMX I mean I got my diamondback it's green got school I don't need them anymore man they need to trust me I'm grown up and I start riding home, and there's this high school kid wearing this black trench coat, and he's with like five or six of his friends, and I look at him too long. And all I hear is him say, let's get them, and they start chasing me down the road. And I, with my fifth grade legs, start pedaling as fast as I can, and I am screaming, and I am just... I crying and I am freaking out and I keep looking back and they're getting close to me and I can see my house and you want to know the very thing that I wanted was the very thing that I thought was keeping me bound I wanted home I wanted my dad and I wanted safety and all of a sudden what I thought was restricting me was the very thing that was my freedom I wanted home And I rolled up to the front of my house with them on my tail and I threw my bike on the ground. I could care less what they did to it. And I ran inside and I screamed, Dad! And my dad comes out and all of a sudden I felt safe. I felt home. I felt free. Some of you know that you've been trying to live on your own thinking you could do it by yourself. And the reality is... You're longing for home. You're longing for supervision. You're longing for a father. You're longing for the safety and the protection and his leadership. And I pray today that you run and surrender your life to him and you begin to live a life that's obedient from the heart.